Father, thank you for your presence in this place this morning. Thank you for um, your word that is already being spoken, God. Um, I pray now that you will continue to prepare our hearts to listen and to figure out what it means for us um, to love you, follow you, and and share with one another. Um, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So... um, Today, I'd like to talk to us um, about a passage that is very well-known by many, many Christians all over the world, and I'm going to see if I can figure out this technology. I have this thing here, and I think I can control the slides. There you go. Uh, I think I click on it. I don't know if it's... Do I click on this? Yeah, okay, there it is. Okay. I'll figure it out. Bear bear with me. But today's uh, uh, scripture is going to be from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And um, we all know this passage. It reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Um, As most of you know, the passage we just read, it's a very famous passage. Does anybody know what this is usually referred to or called when we hear about this? The Great Commission, that's right, the Great Commission. That's what this is, that's what this is usually uh, referred as. And, um, you know, several years ago when I was in seminary, I heard um, a professor refer to this as the Great Omission. And that caught my eye. I was like, the Great Omission? What, why would he, you know, you know, refer to this as the Great Omission? And I think, you know, uh, the gist of, the, of his message at the time, he was saying, you know, this is more of the great omission because as the church, I believe oftentimes we fail to really put into practice what the, what the essence of this passage is calling us to do. And uh, if we don't do what God is expecting us to do, you know, through the Great Commission, then we omit what, what, this is, what, what, what the calling is, and therefore we're living in the Great Omission. Um, and it's, it's something interesting that I think we should pay attention to and maybe think, and as we continue to pray about this thing, ask God, okay, what is it that you want me to do? When I read this passage, God... What, it, what does it mean for me? So I'm hoping that this morning, this is just going to be sort of like an introduction that you will then go home, you know, grab your Bible, read Matthew 28, and pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to do uh, for your life. And it's going to look different for all of us. But just think about this time now as a time where we're just going to come together to think a little bit about this passage. But then I would love for you to go home and just continue the conversation among yourself, uh, with God, and uh, ask him, you know, to tell you what he has for you. So, uh, and with that in mind, something that I like to do today is that every time that I show this slide, um, I want us to say, go and make disciples, starting at home and then at work. So let's practice that all together. On three, let's say it all together. One, two, three, go and make disciples, starting at home and then at work. All right, 
that if you forget everything else that I shared today, I want you to remember these things. And I'm going to be showing these slides um, throughout the sermon today um, as, we, as we go. Now, why am I doing this? Because I think we can't just come to church and be filled with the Holy Spirit and then go home and uh, not exhibit the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we, when we come here to church, is to pray, to be uplifted, to be encouraged, um, to be challenged sometimes. And the idea is that then when we go home, we bring what we've received here for our families, right? For our relatives. Like, it doesn't make sense for us to, you know, come to church and learn all these things. And if we go home and we don't exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? We all know, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When I go home, am I loving? Am I peaceful? Am I patient? Don't ask my wife. Uh, you know, like, do I have self-control? You know, like, these are things that I, I'm quite frankly, I'm trying to work on this. You know, like, when we come to church, we all put our best face forward. We're all loving. We're all caring. But sometimes at home, we argue with one another. We say things that we regret. You know, so... We're all a work in process, right? And this morning, we're just going to talk about that process. You know, part of that process is taking an, a look inwardly and reflecting about practical things that we can do to continue to improve, right? And if we fall back, you know, then we pray for forgiveness again, and, you know, we continue to improve. So that's kind of like what I want us to be thinking about that. Now, also, as we think about, you know, the Great Commission, I want us to think about, uh, you know, we're going to focus on, on making disciples. And I want us to think about the fact that um, we spend um, a, a significant amount of time with our relatives, right, at home. And the first place we're called to make disciples is at home. Right? We're supposed to share the love of God with our relatives, right? With our immediate relatives. I was challenged one time by my sisters. I have two sisters, they're not believers. And um, my parents are divorced. I have an interesting relationship with my dad. And um, uh, for many things that happened, my sisters are not believers. They have a great relationship with my dad. Um, I did not at the time, and they challenged me. They said, Jonathan, you are a believer. You are a pastor, and we cannot believe that you won't talk to your own father, you know, and we that are your sisters, you know, we don't go to church, you know, but we have a great relationship with him, and that was a conviction to me. That was a challenge to me, and I'm sharing a little bit of a personal thing because I think some of these things, we have to illustrate them, um, and when God calls us to make disciples, we all think that our job is to go to Indonesia and Africa. And, and that is part of that. That is all part of that, right? But I was in a season in my life where I was doing a lot of great things here at this church, working with children, working with the homeless, like doing all kinds of things. And yet in my own family, I had this wall that did not allow me to have a relationship with my own dad. I was being a hypocrite, and my sisters called that out. So today, as we think about going and making disciples, I love the people that just came back from Honduras. That is great, you know, and I think we should all continue to go to Honduras. But let's think about what happens when we are at home. What are those relationships that you may have, you know, that need some healing, right? Like, you know, let's, let's be thinking about that, keeping them in the back burner, if you will. And then I want us to think about what happens at work, 
Why? Because we spend, typically, if you're employed full-time, you spend 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday, at work. And statistically, we spend more time at work than with our own relatives sometimes, right? Like, sometimes we get to know our coworkers better than some of our relatives, you know. Um, so, at work, we have an opportunity to make disciples, right? And that's going to look differently for everybody. Um, but I, I want us to think about those relationships that we are building with our colleagues, regardless of the industry that you're in. Whether you're a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, a, you know, a plumber, a carpenter, whatever, you know, those people that you see every day from 7 a.m. to 5 or whatever it is, they become your family, right? We all have like a work spouse or a work brother or a work sister, right? They are your family. They are people that we are called to influence for good, right? Um, sometimes they influence us. Sometimes we influence them. So I want us to be thinking about these things as we think about um, the Great Commission. So, um, and my hope, you know, this morning is that we will all de develop a desire to study the Bible together, starting at home, right? Like one of the elements of, you know, learning how to make disciples is that we need to know, you know, the Bible, right? We need to, we need to be able to speak about the Bible. And starting at home, you know, by yourself, with somebody else at your house, and then maybe with people at work, you know, that share your faith or whatever, you know, just continue to, to, to do that. So um, we're going to look at some of these, of these considerations. And I'm, I'm talking about all these things because last year, during the pandemic, the young adults, we, have our, we had our Zoom Bible studies. And um, we spent a long time reflecting about the meaning and the implications of becoming a disciple, right? Um, and when we start reading this passage in verse 18, it talks about, you know, the 11 disciples and how they went to Galilee, you know, to the mountain where Jesus had elected them, right? So, you know, I, I want us to think a little bit about the word disciples. And... Um, this fall, you know, we're going to continue the conversation in the young adults, and we're going to talk about the, what it means to be a witness. We're going to spend 12 weeks, you know, studying the Bible, learning a lot about what does it mean to be a witness of the gospel. And I'm excited because the high school students are also going to be studying the same thing. We're actually using the same curriculum. We're just going to look at things, you know, uh, through different lenses. Uh, but we're all going to be talking about the same thing. And this is an initiative that the high school ministry and the young adult ministry is kind of like trying out this year, uh, where we all want to be talking about the same thing, because our idea is that hopefully if in a household there is a young adult and a high school student, that when they're sitting at the dinner table, they're all talking about the same thing. And maybe they can involve their parents about their conversation. So when we start our curriculum this fall, every week we have different topics that we're going to be covering. And maybe when they're having dinner with their parents, you know, they could talk, about, oh, what did you talk about the young adults? You know, and hopefully that will create conversations where families can just talk about what does it mean to be a witness for you in your school? What does it mean for, 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 to be a witness for me as dad at work or for me at mom at work? Or, you know, like what does it mean to be a witness? So um, that's kind of like the idea behind it. And I want to encourage all of you guys, even if you're not part of the young adults or the high school or whatever, join a Bible study group um, this fall. Right, Whether it is the Bible study online or in person at the church, I want to encourage you to join one. Why? Because that's part of building community. 
right? You come to these groups, you explore the Bible, you, you learn about the Bible, and then you share with one another, and then you bring that out into your homes, into your workplaces, um, and it's just a, a way to be in community. So I want to encourage you guys um, um, to do that as well. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, and uh, I, before we dive into the passage, I want us to think about a little bit of the historical context and what was happening um, when this passage was created. And Matthew was the author of the book of Matthew, right? Um, what do we know about Matthew? And why, why do I think it's important that we spend some time thinking about Matthew before we read this passage? I think it's important that we think about, that we spend some time thinking about Matthew when we read, you know, the passage of the Great Commission, because I believe Matthew was writing, when he wrote about making disciples, he was probably thinking about how he himself became a disciple and his experience going through that. And I want to, you know, bring us a little bit behind the curtain this morning and, and think, you know, point out a few things about Matthew. Now, picture you see there, that was not real Matthew, okay? That is a picture of an actor in a show that I really like, that, you know, The Chosen. I don't know, some of you probably have seen The Chosen. I love that show. I encourage people to watch the show. Uh, it's about the life of Jesus through the perspective of the disciples. It's not the Bible. You know, like, I encourage you to read the Bible first, and then maybe watch the show. If you're going to watch Netflix, you know, maybe watch the show and then watch Netflix. I don't know. Up to you. But, um, you know, I, I like, you know, the, the, the visual and the artistic renditions that they're doing there. Um, but Matthew, he was a, um, a tax collector, right? We all know that he was a tax collector um, and he was a disciple of Jesus. Now, what, what does that mean? Um, one fun fact about Matthew is that, you know, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you're going to come across Levi, right? Uh, you know, some writers call him Matthew, some writers call him Levi. There's be a little bit of a debate about that. But, you know, most scholars agree that, you know, he probably had two names, right? Because, um, you know, he, we know that he was the son of a man named um, Alphaeus. Um, and um, uh, uh, he, you know, he, 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 he had two names. The bottom line is that he was a, a former tax collector that followed Jesus and became a 12 disciple. What does it mean that he was a, a former tax collector? As a tax collector, he was probably well compensated. He made money, right? Like he, he was dealing with money. He was well compensated. He worked for the Roman government, right? Like he had a position that was of prestige. Um, he was well educated um, to be able to, you know, handle that. Um, but some scholars talk about Matthew as somebody who was lonely and um, kind of like an outcast for his own people, the Jews. Now think about that. The Jews in that time, right, like uh, they were under, you know, the Roman Empire that was a little oppressive, right? Um, and they were like uh, socioeconomically below, right? They were like a lower class. His friends, maybe, you know, Matthew's friends, were probably resentful that he had this fancy high-paying job in the government where he had to get taxes from them, right? Like, and, um, you know, 
Who likes to pay taxes? We love paying taxes, you know? Um, so some of the Jewish people, some scholars believe that resented the fact that Matthew, uh, you know, had to do his job, you know, get the taxes, and they, they didn't like him for that. So, um, you know, it's, some people believe that Matthew was a lonely character, right? Because his own people didn't like him. He worked for the Romans, but he was not a Roman, so he was just kind of like, you know, they, they like me because I'm smart and, you know, I'm just kind of crunching numbers here or whatever. I don't know. These are things that, that, that people think about Matthew. Um, and, um, you know, we know that when Jesus called him, he was at work. He was collecting taxes. He was doing his job, you know, like, um, you know, and, and, and Jesus called him uh, while he was at work. Um, and then... I think I have in here a passage of when, when, when Jesus called him. No, maybe, maybe we'll talk about it later. Um, but um, uh, he, you know, we know that when, when Jesus called him, he was, he was at on the tax booth. And he left, you know, everything and immediately uh, followed Jesus. Um, one of the things to consider is that when Matthew left his tax collecting booth, um, he uh, probably signed up uh, for, like, like, he guaranteed himself unemployment because when he left his job it's not like the romans were going to take him back he left his job to follow jesus he left everything right he was like i just went from being a tax collector a really nice high-paying job to following this random rabbi that told me to follow him to learn from him like how am i going to live how am i going to be compensated how am i going to pay he just left to walk on the unknown um, right? Um, and I want to read for you, um, uh, you know, a couple of words from uh, the calling um, of Jesus. Uh, but before we do that, let me see. Um, I think I have it in here. Sorry, I'm a little convoluted today. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get back. I'll read it from here because I have it here. So it says, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at a table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So as a tax collector, Matthew was not a popular person among his people. The Pharisees didn't like him. You know, people thought of tax collectors negatively. They were just out to steal people's money. They were greedy. They were not, you know, people of integrity. So people are criticizing Jesus because what happened after after God you know after Jesus called Matthew he invited Jesus home and he invited other tax collector friends and other of his friends his friends were seen as sinners who are the sinners in our lives today that we need to invite to our homes to meet with Jesus that's going to look different for everyone but look, what, I, I believe that when Matthew was writing about going and making disciples, he was probably thinking, you know, when I became a disciple, I was in a high-paying job, you know. I was somebody that was not liked, you know, by the Jewish people of the day, um, you know. But when Jesus called me, 
I left everything, and uh, I called my other sinner friends, and we all had dinner with Jesus, and that's what made it for me. So I think when he's writing about that, he's probably encouraging us to do the same. Like, when Jesus calls you, like, we're supposed to follow Jesus, but we're not supposed to keep this treasure for ourselves. We're supposed to invite others into this and share with others about what it means to follow Jesus. So I, I believe, you know, Matthew uh, was talking, was, was thinking about these things. Um, um, again, I love the fact that he was, a, he was a tax collector and all of the disciples of Jesus were different, right? Like some of them were fishermen, you know, and, and there's something interesting in The Chosen, again, the show, where they show a little bit, spoiler alerts, if you're going to watch it, I, you know, but um, uh, they, there is a scene where the disciples are, they kind of like don't like each other and like, you know, the ones that were the fishermen didn't really like Matthew because he was taxing them and taking away their properties. And they were struggling. They were like, why is Jesus calling this tax collector to join our little group? You know, like, like we are the disciples. Like, why is he, you know, calling him? Like, he doesn't belong, you know. And, uh, and then Matthew was all of a sudden self-conscious because it was like, well, these are the people that I was kind of like, you know, taking their money. And now we're supposed to be friends and all like live and hang out together. So it shows a little bit of those tensions. And I think, you know, this is probably what it was like uh, for Matthew. But the bottom line is that when Matthew was called, he began to follow Jesus. Jesus, and he came as he was. He didn't go to seminary to become a disciple, right? Like, he didn't know anything about the Bible. He just said, you know what? I'm going to follow this man because I want to learn. So when we follow Jesus, we come as we are, and we bring what we have. I'm sure that he used his skills, um, you know, for the glory of God as he was following them, right? Um, how do you think he wrote the Gospel of Matthew? He wrote the Gospel of Matthew probably because he was well-educated and he knew how to read. He, as a tax collector, he was probably very meticulous and uh, he had to keep accurate records of things. So one can think that, you know, this is why he wrote stuff because, you know, that was part of his job. That was part of his training. Um, so we can think about these things. Um, the bottom line is, when we look at Matthew, I want us to see ourselves in Matthew, right? I want us to think about where we were when Jesus called us, right? Remember where you were when Jesus called you. And when Jesus called you, you just got up and followed, right? Sometimes we think that we need to know a lot about a, a, a lot of Bible, but maybe we don't need to know a lot of Bible. So um, let's just, let's just um, you know, think about that for a moment. Now, the purpose of... Um, the book of Matthew, the original audience. The original audience uh, for the book of Matthew was, um, you know, it, it, it was the Jewish people themselves, right? Like when he wrote this book, he was trying to persuade Jewish people to recognize Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. There were a lot of Jewish people that were expecting Jesus to come as a mighty king, a deliverer. We all know this, right? Uh, but Matthew is writing and he's saying, no. This guy from Nazareth, he is the Messiah. He is the one that is performing all these miracles. So he wanted to record all these things. Um, and um, uh, in the Bible, we see that some, um, you know, many scholars believe that Matthew was writing primarily to a lot of um, Jewish people that were part of the church in Antioch um, in Syria, whose members included Jewish people and Gentile people. Um, and that was, you know, probably the intended audience of him. The main theme is here in, in the book of Matthew is to record the story of Jesus of Nazareth um, uh, as a compelling witness that Jesus is the long-anticipated Messiah who brought, you know, the kingdom of God to earth and, pro and proclaimed uh, and, 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 and fulfilled the prophecies. Um, 
of true peace and deliverance for, for both people. Um, now, uh, something interesting about the purpose, occasion, and the background of this book, and all of this is, you know, kind of like what's going through Matthew's head as he's writing all these things, is that, you know, the purpose of this was to reveal clearly to Gentiles. Gentiles were people that were not Jewish, right? Like, there were people that... Uh, you know, like Jewish people were very selective um, in their Bible studies and things and their gatherings. And, you know, Matthew's writing these things to say, you know what? Jesus came because salvation is also for the Gentiles. Salvation is also for the people that are on the other side. We're, we're, earlier today, somebody was talking about casting the net on the other side. That is, you know, casting the net, you know, on the Gentile side, uh, if you will, right? And Matthew is saying salvation is not exclusive to the Jews. Salvation is inclusive of all the Gentiles out there. So, you know, that was part, part of the purpose of that. Um, you know, and he came to show that Jesus was available to all nations. Uh, for, Jewish, for Jewish Christians, um, the Gospel of Matthew, you know, it provides an, an encouragement to stand, um, you know, steadfast amid opposition from their own countrymen. Um, you know, uh, because the Jewish could be, you know, mean among, among themselves. Um, during that time. And I think in a way, you know, the book of Matthew uh, establishes the identity of Christ's church as a true people who find their unity in service despite previous racial, class, or religious barriers. There was a lot of that going on in Jesus' time. You know, you had the Jews and the, the Gentile. Uh, you had classes, you know, wealthy people, low-income people. Um, and you have religious barriers too, right? Like all these things. And Jesus came to break through all of that and say, we can all sit at the same table. So when, you know, Matthew invited his friends, there were wealthy people at that table. There were poor people at the table. And they were all breaking bread together. And we'll talk a little bit um, uh, more about that. Um, you know, some of the key themes is the portrayal of Jesus as the, as the true Messiah. God is with us. Um, it's a new community of faith that, he, that he's writing through. Um, and obviously, the Great Commission is a call for evangelism and mission, where Jesus says, you know, to make disciples of all nations. So, um, Go and make disciples, starting at home and then at work. All right, you're still with me. So now we're going to go and take a look, you know, verse by verse. Verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain uh, to which Jesus had directed them. Um, I highlighted two words in here. The word disciple is something that I want us to spend some time with. And then I want to talk a little bit about how Jesus had directed them. Now, what is a disciple? Does anybody know what a disciple is? A student? Yeah? Okay. Yeah? I looked it up in Google. I was like, well, how does Google define a disciple? And this is a picture from the chosen. I'm really promoting them hardcore here. But um, Google tells, told me that a disciple is a follower or a student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. Right? Discipleship or student. Um, and then, you know, when I saw this, you know, a follower, I said, hmm, what is the difference between a follower and a disciple? And I found that a follower is literally somebody that follows and comes after another, uh, while a disciple is a person who learns from another, especially one who then teaches others. So when you become a disciple, you're supposed to learn from someone to then, you know, turn around and teach and that's what Jesus did with the disciples. We all know this, right? Like he spent time with them, training them and all these things. And then after he left, he said, all right, you're up now. So, you know, he, he, he teaches them that. Now, 
Um, our job is to learn so that we can teach others. Um, and remember, you know, it's all about the Great Commission and not the Great Omission. So my question is, you know, are we disciples or are we followers? And that's a question that we need to answer ourselves. Now, uh, after I was reading through this, I asked myself, well, what is a Christian? You know, what's the difference between a disciple and a Christian? And then, you know, I found, again, in Google some things that said a Christian is somebody, someone relating or professing Christianity or is teaching. And a Christian is someone whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. Behavior and heart. Our lives are supposed to reflect Jesus Christ. Um, and, um, um, and then uh, there is a, a, a verse in Acts uh, chapter 11, 25 and 26, I was trying to figure out where the Bible first, you know, start talking about Christians, and I found this. Barnabas went to Tar Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So it was in Antioch where the disciples were first called Christians because they were followers of Christ. So it was kind of like a synonym. Now, the question for us is... At work, do, do, I be, do, do, do our behavior or our lives reflect Christ at work? That's something for us to think about. If we call ourselves Christians, does our life reflect Christ at home? Does our life reflect Christ at the church? Um, are you, am I, a person of integrity? How do we reflect Christ at work when we are people of integrity? When we are not cutting corners, when we show up on time, right, when we, you know, do the things, you know, in a way that when people look at us, they're proud of the work we do, that's how we show Christ um, at work. Um, so we need to be thinking about these things um, as, we, as we think about uh, being disciples. Um, now, go and make disciples, starting at home, then at work. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna make disciples at work, we don't we can't be embarrassed to be known as Christians um, outside of this church, right? We should be proud of the fact that we're Christians, right? And if what other Christians have done is embarrassing to the name of Jesus, then we have an opportunity to show people that don't like Christians that we are different, right? Whatever perception they have about Christians. When they encounter us, they should walk away and say, you know what, this person is different than all those Christians that I see on TV or, or whatever. You know, so it is through the things that we do. Um, there is a misconception. Um, I think, you know, as disciples of Christ, as Christians, we're not called to live safe and comfortable lives while still being disciples of Jesus. I think, you know, we are supposed to you know, God has called us to move beyond our comfort zone and go and make disciples. Making disciples is going to be an uncomfortable task. Uh, you know, leaving our jobs to follow Jesus will be uncomfortable. I'm not asking us to leave our jobs to follow Jesus. Um, I'm asking us to maybe think a little bit about, like Matthew, and invite strangers into our homes. When was the last time you invited a stranger into your home? And remember, when Matthew was called, the first thing he did, he was, let me, let me invite all my friends into my home, not to watch a Netflix movie, but to meet Jesus. I want them to meet this man, right? And that's going to look different for all of us, you know. Um, obviously, you're not going to, like, you're not going to invite, like, oh, I'm going to invite the, 
the, the, the pastor to come to my house and invite other people. Although you could do that. We're not Jesus. Jesus lives in you. So when you invite people into your home, your home needs to be a place of refuge. Your home needs to be a place where they can encounter Jesus through you, you know, where they go to maybe hear a word of encouragement, right? But where, where maybe they go and, and, and to get a meal, uh, right? Um, it's developing relationships. I am sure that was not the only one time that Matthew did that. Um, you know, as a disciple of Jesus, you know, he lived with Jesus. They, they were together day and night. That's what it takes making disciple is doing life with someone. It's not a one-time event. It's not an isolated event. Um, you know, if we're going to make a disciple, it's someone that we need to be in touch with on a regular basis. Maybe we invite them over for dinner this month. Maybe, maybe once it's a once a month thing, right? Like you're trying to develop a friendship with someone. And how do you develop a friendship? You know, spending time with people at home, outside, you know, you go to the movies, whatever, right? Like, sure, there is a pandemic. Maybe we shouldn't be inviting people home, but you know, you can hang out in the Boston Common, you know, with your friends, right? So let we can be creative, right? We can be creative, but um, to be a disciple is not to be content simply being saved from hell um, and then sit out the rest of our life. You know, we're 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 supposed, you know, to do to to do this. Now, um, something interesting about this, you know, passage in verse 16 is that some people doubt it, right? When they saw him, they worship him, but some doubt it. In verse 17. This blew my mind as I was reading this because I was like, oh, wow. You know, so they're talking about the disciples, people who had been with Jesus, you know, through thick and thin. This was like right before Jesus ascended back, right? And uh, they're saying that some of them saw him, they worship him, and they doubt it. Some of the disciples doubted Jesus. I was like, what? How can you doubt after you've seen him perform miracles and things? And you know what? That's us, guys. We doubt Jesus all the time. You know, like, we believe, we don't, we don't believe, you know, like, like, and it's okay. You know, if the disciples themselves, after seeing Jesus in the flesh doing these things, doubted, we doubt it. But you know what? When we doubt, there is grace for us. You know, and if you're here today and you have your doubts about Christianity or, you know, faith or whatever, that's okay. Jesus is inviting you to be with him with your doubts and everything. And he will show you along the way. You know, you just have to come and answer and answer the call. So, um, but again, it's all about, you know, sharing our doubts in community. When we have doubts, when we have questions about the faith or the Bible, find others to discuss them with, to learn from, right? And we can all learn together. This is the beauty of community, living in community as the disciples were making. Disciple making is, it's, it's that, discipleship, studying the word together. Things that we don't understand, maybe somebody else does, right? Like, but we need to spend time together. Um, at home, you can go online and, you know, start looking stuff up and learn more about the Bible. I'm going to share a couple of resources that I like um, with you, you know, later. But, um, but these, are, these are some of the things that we, that we have to do. Now, something interesting about these um, uh, disciples is uh, the book of Mark has the same passage with slightly different language. 
And I want to point some things out to you. In, in, Ma, in Mark, he says, Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So he's talking about the disciples that were in disbelief. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Matthew talks about making disciples. Mark is talking about proclaiming the gospel. There is a connection there. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And this sign will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will later um, lay, lay their hands on the sick and they will recover, so then... The Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed their message by accompanying sign. Making disciples is about proclaiming the gospel. And what is the gospel? Is the good news. It's not news of condemnation. And oftentimes as Christians, we are known because we love to condemn people that are different than us. We love to condemn people that are not believers. We focus on their sin, you know, out of the out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the gate, and 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 that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put their sin aside and look at the person. The Pharisees, when they saw Jesus dining with Matthew and the sinners, they focused on who they were, right? Like they, they were like tax collectors, sinners, you know. God knows who else was there, and they were looking at that. But Jesus said, you know what? These are people in need of a savior. And I came for them. You know, I came for the sin. So as we think about making disciples, maybe picture the person that you don't want to be associated with. Think about why you don't want to be associated with. And then think about, would Jesus possibly be calling me to befriend that person that's different than me? You know, and if I don't want to be associated with them because they're sinners, you know, then who do I want to be associated with and why? You know, so these are some of the things that I think, you know, the Great Commission is calling us to do. And if the Great Commission calls us to preach the gospel, the gospel is good news. And I have a short video. Man, I'm running out of time. This is, this is crazy, guys. I think we're going to have to need, like, another series. But um, I have a video about the gospel. Can we show that? It's, it's five minutes, you know. Um, but I, I want to show it here because I think it, it, it captures the essence of what the gospel is. And, um, and I think it can inform what our attitude should be um, moving forward. Um, let me see. Let me see. Maybe, maybe I can do this. If you know any Christians, oh, there or it is. if you happen to be one. Oh, hold on. Here it is. If you know any Christians, or if you happen to be one, you've probably heard the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, biser, and the noun, besorah. The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. You means good, and angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, beser is what we might call national news or a royal announcement. 
Like when King David hears a messenger Biser that his army was victorious in battle. That means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Besorah, that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings, whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people Israel and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity, even toward your enemies. His good news required people to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the euangelion, that all authority in heaven and on earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins, and then was raised from the dead. Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, traveled all around sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real king of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants, because the last are first and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed and the homeless are welcome, because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it, but something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. I think this is a very interesting video. You know, it's from the Bible Project, and I'll share some of those resources with you, you know, as well. But I think it was interesting because, you know, our key verse in Matthew and in Mark, you know, they both tell the same thing, but through a different lens. And those key words are the words that I want you to remember today. Make disciples and proclaim the gospel, right? This is how we're going to make disciples. It's by proclaiming the gospel. And if your friends and relatives won't come to church for whatever reason, go to where they are. 
right? Meet them where they are. Jesus met Matthew at his workplace. He went to his workplace and he called him out, right? So we need to go to where the people who are in need are and we need to call them into this intimacy with Jesus. Um, and it's through a relationship that we're going to develop. When we bring Jesus into the gospel, it's, you know, let's follow Jesus' model. Find maybe 12 people, maybe one person this year, right? Like you have another six months to find one person that you're going to turn into a disciple, right? Like somebody that you're going to share life with. And maybe think about someone that's very different from you, um, you know, and invite them over. Somebody in your, in your building or in your neighborhood, like one of your neighbors, invite them over, you know, uh, you know, for dinner or whatever, or invite them over to go on a walk, you know, like start doing life um, with people. Um, something interesting about this is that um, we are not um, alone, right? In, in verse 20, he says, teaching them um, to do all, to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. As Jesus calls us to do these things, he's equipping us. We're not alone. We have him, and we have others from our church community to help us do this. Next time you invite people over to your place to watch a Netflix movie or whatever, take some time to talk about, you know, what God is doing in your life, right? Like to talk about some of the things that you're doing for others through your church or whatever. Let people know how God has changed your life and why you are the way you are. Maybe that'll spark their interest, um, right? So these are, these are some of the things we could do. Um, I have um, a slide I want to show you guys about a... Um, a book that I read, you know, several years ago about, it's, it, it's, it, that talks about the gathered church and the scattered church. This picture shows us today on a Sunday. The red dots, those are Christians. And this is what we do on Sundays. We come here, we praise Jesus, we love Jesus, we enjoy each other's company. Um, but what if, you know, we came here to, to be gathered just to get kind of like, the tools that we need to go out and, and, and become fishers of men, like Jesus said, right? If we do that, we're going to become the scattered church. And now the little red dots are all over the city of Boston. We are in finance, in education, in healthcare, in daycares, in plumbing jobs, you know, all these places, and we're bringing healing into those places. And how are we bringing healing? Sure, you can, you can, you can bring your Bible and talk about the, about the Bible, but just by virtue of you being there, there should be light at your work. And that light should be something that draws people to you. Are they drawn to you because you are a good person, because you're somebody that's trustworthy, because you're somebody that's a man or a woman of integrity? If not, you know, then when you come to church to be gathered, this is where we need to, you know, work on. Because the goal is that when we are gathered, we're encouraged, we're equipped so that we can go out and then bring healing um, into the people that need the healing, right? Um, think about those places. Maybe that's not your workplace. Those are homes in Boston. But hopefully there's some homes where there is a light. And those are homes where your colleagues from work or your relatives can come 
to cry out before you and just share their problems and hear a word of encouragement from you. Those are, those are, those are homes where people can come looking for help and they will find help because there's a believer there that it's going to help them not only by praying for them, but by practically saying, what do you need? Are you hungry? Let's go eat. You know, like I'll, I'll bring you food. Do you need help with your math problem? If you're a student or whatever, I'll help you with your math problem. When Jesus came, he was preaching the gospel, but he was also doing practical, tangible things for people. He was feeding the hungry. He was clothing the naked. He was inviting to, 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 into his presence people that were unlike, unlike him. So I believe this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Um, some of the things that I think, you know, will probably help you as you, as you, you know, um, you know, try to do this. Things I like, The Chosen, this is the show. Um, invite others into your house to watch this. We invite people to watch movies in our homes, you know, all the time, or we promote movies that Hollywood produces all the time, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to watch a movie tonight, you know, that's on Netflix that I, that I like to watch, right? But it's a balance. Let's watch those, but let's also watch, you know, things that are, you know, Christian, things that are like, you know, life-giving. Um, something that I encourage you to explore with your families also, the, the Bible Project. The video that I show you is from the Bible Project. They have a ton of videos online that explain the gospel, different themes, different things, you know. Go to the Bible Project and start looking at them for yourselves. And things that you think are helpful to you, share with others, right? And when they have questions, then you can answer, right? Or you can connect them with someone that can answer, right? Like, this is what making disciples is all about. It's about sharing the gospel and using the tools that we have. We have the Bible, and this should be, you know, the first place we go to. These things are secondary, but they come in to help, um, you know, inform your teaching, your sharing, and, and whatever. Um, a couple of books that I really like, you know, Tim Keller, some of you know him, you know, Every Good Endeavor. This book I read it many years ago. This book talks about how we can be uh, Christians in the workplace, regardless of our profession. How can we, you know, be salt and light where we work, right? And the other one, fruitfulness in the front lines, um, it's essentially the same thing. What are the things that are you consuming, right? Whether it's books, media, TV, or whatever. Whatever you consume on a daily basis, that's what you have to share with the people that you encounter, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with listening to secular music or whatever, but like, let's consume things that build up our heart, things that edify us, so that when we go out and share with others, we can share those things and, 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 and inform them about the things that, that, that God does. Another reason that I like, the Gospel Coalition. Tons of articles on all kinds of topics. You know, you can go online, you can type anything, and there's going to be articles and different perspectives and different things, but just go out and start reading and studying. Don't replace this with your regular Bible reading. You should go to the Bible, start reading, and then when you come up across things, you know, disciples, what does that mean? Google it, right? Like, tell, find out what Google says and then ask other people. You know, like, we need to become students of the Word. And we need to do it for ourselves. This is how we develop our relationship with Christ. And then, as we're reading and coming across things, then we go to our church people and we say, hey, I was reading this, I came across this. Do you know what this means, you know? And we do all these things. Um, so let's, let's do that. Um, what does the Great Commission means to you? 
here I, I've, I've, I've shared a lot in a short period of time, but this week, go home, Matthew 28, find the Great Commission, read it, and ask yourself, okay, God, what do you want? Like, what does this mean to me? Go and make disciples. What does that mean to me? How am I supposed to make a disciple? Is that a task that belongs to the pastor? Is the pastor the one that needs to make the disciples? Or is that a task that belongs to me? How do I make disciples? Are you calling me to, to make 12 disciples this year or one disciple? I don't know. Maybe think about, you know, go and make a new friend, right? Maybe that's what God is it's, it's asking you to do, you know. Go develop a new friendship, right? And may that new friendship that you will develop this year be a friendship that will be life-giving, right? A life-giving friendship where you're going to find someone different than who you are, where you're going to be able to speak life into their life, or maybe they'll be able to speak life into your life, right? Like, because friendships go both ways. But that's how we make disciples, right? People that learn from us, people that then go out and, and, and teach what, what they've learned. And, and one of the things that I want us to, to think about is like, in this discipleship business, you're either making disciples or you are being disciple, right? And if you're not making disciples, somebody else is discipling you, right? Like somebody else is influencing your life to the point that you want to be like them. Who are those people, you know? Are they on TV? Are they at the church? You know, there's, there's so many things and, 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 and so many questions. I think our call for the rest of the week, for the rest of the more, is to go and make disciples starting at home and then at work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that it's new and, and convicting every time. I pray that you will place a desire in our hearts to study your word on our own, to find answers to questions first on our own and then in community, God. I pray that you will place a desire for us to go home, read your word, and invite others to help us think through these things. I pray that you will reveal to each of us what the Great Commission means to us individually and how we can use our gifts that you have given us to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel. Help us understand the gospel. Help us be like Matthew, you know, that once he found you, he could not help but to share about you with others in his circles. Who are the people in our circles that need to hear from you? Help us find creative ways to do this and help us use our gift to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.